श्रीला गुरुदेव की जाय श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जाय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जाय श्री श्री दौजी गोपाल जी की जाय ग्रंथराज श्रीमद्भागवतम की जाय श्री बिनु गीत की जाय गौर भक्त वृंद की जाय गौर प्रमाण हरी गुड इवनिंग टू ऑल ऑफ यूर वेलकम प्रणाम थैंक यू सो मच फॉर योर योर प्रेसेंस एंड वी आर कंटिन्यू विथ सीरीज ऑफ लेक्चर्स दैट वी स्टार्ट दे अबाउट श्री बेनु गीत और दिस सॉन्ग of the flute attempt him to to complement with our guru maharaj's presentation starting the day after tomorrow if i'm not mistaken on about tomorrow is propag bhakti siddhanta stiruba so the day after tomorrow on brahma vimohan lila and, and, and brahma stuti so today we will be officially starting with the very first verse of, of the venu gita there are 20 verses and yesterday we will make a brief uh, recap for those who are not present and especially for those who are present so we were doing some introduction to the whole a uh, notion of a gita in the bhagavatam we may be maybe more familiar with the idea of bhagavad gita a gita outside of the bhagavatam if you will but inside the shrimad bhagavatam there are many gitas as well and many gitas outside the tenth canto of the bhagavatam and many gitas inside the tenth canto sang all of them uh, at least as they are popularly known sung by the gopis mostly six main gitas starting with venu gita which we will be studying today all of them are songs of separation in these six gitas the gopis venu gita pranaya gita gopi gita jugal gita viraha gita and brahmar gita in these six gitas the gopis sang uh in different modes of separation we spoke about them yesterday the main four so venu gita corresponds with a type of separation called uh purvarag or the separation where you have never met officially your beloved the love has not been consummated yet but it's the momentum that is reaching to that point the building up to the union if you will So all these songs are quite crucial for for those who want to enter into the ragamark into the brindavan mellows if you will mm-hmm. especially of course for those who with an affinity towards madhura bab but as well towards the current of sakya bab called pranarma sakya is quite connected to krishna's romantic agenda mm-hmm. so we introduced that we shared some words about the the flute in itself and how this flute in braja krishna is one of the four defining attributes that make him who he is who is as braja krishna swayam bhagavan shri braja krishna in brindavan venu madhurya along with other three types of uh, madhurya there so this venu madhurya is basically defining krishna as swayam bhagavan so the flute is a quite crucial element to his identity hmm, in brindavan So then we finish our yesterday's lecture with a brief uh, con- given a, bit of a brief context to the background of the Venu Gita and how the Gopis in Purvarag are all all of their parents according to Jiva Goswami in Gopal Champo in one point begin think okay all our daughters should marry Krishna he's the ideal match for every single lady in the Braj so everyone thought unanimously like that and all the girls were thinking likewise but gargacharya eventually suggested better he married them to someone else because according to the chart krishna will leave braj and there will be some issues with kamsa and if he has many wives here who knows what kamsa will do to the braj so eventually all the gopis are uh, planned to be married with someone else and all of them plan to kill themselves because of that <laughs> because they were just leaving to get married with krishna so all of them get together Yeah. on the on the shores of the jamuna 
uh, yesterday made a mistake. I say that Kalia was uh, still not chastised, so Jamuna was po polluted there, but actually he was already chastised by that time. But nonetheless, they want to jump into the Jamuna and kill themselves. That makes no difference about that point. I just want to make that clear um, chronological detail. So, as we know, so, and that further increased their poor Bharat. Because in, in, in the Kaliya chastisement of Kaliya, Krishna was basically given a trailer of Rasa Lila, basically. What's about to come in Rasa Lila? He's dancing, he's showing his Nataraj sensibilities, king of dancing by jumping on the hoods of Kaliya. And Gopis and all Vrindavan are having darshan of that, and the Purvarag is reaching new heights. Mm -hmm. So Kaliya is, we could say that one of the reasons Krishna did not kill Kaliya was because Kaliya was quite a facilitator for him to offer that trailer to the gopis. So Krishna felt some indebtedness to Kaliya. He facilitated this. Somehow first meeting from, from that Kaliya moment, we could say that the Purvarag of the gopis and the Madhurya Rasa narrative of the Bhagavatam starts to unfold more and more and more and more. So the point is that the gopis want them to jump there, but some invisible voice in the sky prevents them from doing so. And on the scene appear Purnamasi and Brindadevi and Madhumangal and all of them start to offer their services for the gopis to continue with their lives and at the same time they uh, they confirm to them you won't have any contact with any other apart from Krishna and so on. So the gopis somehow manage to, to survive, to continue with their lives with the hope of eventually meeting Krishna. We ended up our previous lecture speaking about how these so-called obstacles that the gopis had to go through here and on a daily basis, especially in the context of Parakiyabha, which is one of the three defining qualities of Parakiyabha, is it has to be full of obstacles, Goswami said. If you don't, don't have full of obstacles, there's no Parakiyabha. We, we call it some, something else. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's a forbidden love, a secret love, and it's full of obstacles. Mm -hmm. So, and we spoke how we, as sadhakas, also can take that lesson to, to mean that uh, obstacles are there to increase longing, basically. Brahma says, if you eagerly really want my mercy, whatever comes to your life as a result of previous misdeeds, which is sometimes called that obstacle, <laughs> actually will increase your absorption in me, basically. And that will increase your proximity to me, because longing... The fire of longing will, the flame of longing will grow bigger and bigger. So if you are properly situated, sincerely surrendered, you throw, you may throw advantages or obstacles or pros and cons, but if you are sincerely surrendered, everything you will turn that into a udipana, or like a stimulant for further proximity to your deity. So that's the standard, of course, of the gopis and of the brajabas in general, for sure. So that's a brief recap, maybe not so brief, sorry for that, but we have some new here, audience here. So today we will be studying verse number one. I was thinking, I announced yesterday we may be studying the first four verses, but after a moment of sobriety and realism, I, I know in myself, I realize it's not possible to see four verses unless the class lasts for four hours, and that's not the idea, I think so. So we'll see verse number four, and let's see if we are able to end the whole series in this month. <coughs> so I think, in case you would like to follow, it will share some list of the verses of the Venu Gita. For, well, so whoever may have them, if you want to follow, I will recite the, the Sanskrit first, and then we will try to give some elaboration. So uh, this is verse number one. This is chapter <coughs> number 21 on 10th canto of the Bhagavatam. So the verse is like this. Shri Sukha Uvacha Itam Sharatsha Chajalam Padmakara Sugandina Nyadishat Bhajunavatam Shagugopalako so basically, the trans I, we will share, the, there are different translations, but we will share the one that you also have in that file. So it says like this, Sukadev Goswami said, Thus, the Vrindavan forest was filled with transparent autumnal waters 
uncooled by breezes perfumed with the fragrance of lotus flowers growing in the clear lakes. The infallible Lord, accompanied by his cows and cowherd boyfriends, entered that Brindavan forest. Yeah? We have the same translation? Okay. So, so this is the very first verse of the Venu Gita, where, of course, as you can see, Sri Sukadev Goswami is the one speaking to Maharaj Parikshit, and inside of that narrative we will have another narrative and another narrative, even in some cases, this mamushka format, one inside the other. <laughs> so he will describe, of course, this is a continuation with the previous chapter, that's why the verse starts with the word itham, so itham means in this way, Naturally, it connects with what he was narrating previously, that we will see what was that, in this case connected to the description of Sharad. Sharad means autumn. So he had described autumn before. So in the context of describing the autumnal season, now he's connecting that description with what will take place in the autumnal season, Benu Gita, among other, other, other Gitas, other Lilas. Rasa Lila, Rasa Panchadiyai will be also in this autumnal season. So he will start describing the main features of autumn, which is like some clearing of the whole environment. So he will say, like you see, Sarat, Swachat Jalam. Swachat Jalam means the water is really su acha, very, very clear, or translucent, if you will. Swachat Jalam. The water is clear. For this, we have had it. We will go through that now. The summer season and then the rainy season. So, you know, with, there is some relief from summer with rainy season, but rainy season brings its own mess, if you will. <laughs> so you won't speak about ter in terms of clear waters and transparent lakes. So that's happening here in, in autumn. So that's why they use the term here, Satcha Jalam. And then Padmakara Sugandina. Also, there, there you will find a ponds full of fragrant lotuses. So there's a clear like, kind of Mantra Mayu, passionate like description of postal of Vrindavan at this moment. Nyabishat Bayunavatam. Nyabishat means he entered, Krishna entered. Bayunavatam. Bayunavatam means the, the wind carried a very soft breeze. So it's, all of the ingredients start to appear on a scene. And Sago Gopala, Gopala called Chuta. Therefore, Achuta, when name of Krishna, entered this forest along with Sa Go Gopalaka. With the cows, go and with Gopalaka, which is another way of saying Gopal, with the Gopals, with the, his friends. So again, Benugita official speaking, as we said the other day, will begin in verse number 7. So in the first six verses, Sri Sukadev is preparing the stage, describing the forest, Krishna's entering there, how the Gopis will feel according to that, and then it will come they will have the song of the gopis proper. So again, itam, the verse says. Therefore, in this way, so in the previous verse, in the previous, sorry, chapter, chapter, uh, 20th chapter of the 10th canto, Sri Sukadev Goswami described the rainy season and the autumn in Vrindavan. That's the name of the previous chapter. So he, in detail, described the qualities of these two seasons, rainy season and autumn. So before starting with the pastimes of the flute or the song of the flute, he's describing Krishna's entering the forest here and how that forest is <coughs> sorry, like ornamented or decorated by all the, the defining qualities of autumn, basically. And the sweetness of autumn, in which Krishna will celebrate his uh, Rasa Lila, Sarat Rasa Lila, Autumnal Rasa Lila, as we mentioned. We have summer, the heat of summer, then we have the relief of that heat in the form of rainy season, but the mass of the mud coming there, and then we have the, the relief of the mud in the form of autumn. So somehow Krishna considered this is kind of the perfect moment and stage to celebrate, to consummate my relationship with the gopis. But before going to autumn, because here it's already beginning from the autumnal season, let's analyze a little bit more the implications of summer and uh, um, rainy season and how this is connected to the purvarag of the gopis, to the experience of the gopis. Hmm? 
So, first of all, let's go to the summer season. I don't think any of you have, maybe, maybe Shamsundar have been in India summer season? No. Sagirati was there and she survived. <laughs> so she can give testimony was how hot is summer season. How much? 56 degrees Celsius. Celsius, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for the American ones. So, yeah. Brindavan. And this is taking place in that same place, Brindavan. So just to begin on the ex more external consideration of how hot the summer is, and you have to add that the forest fire of separation in which the gopis are thrown in their poor barak. So 56 is just like sense enjoyment in comparison to their forest fire. <laughs> so you can imagine these two forest fires put together, forest fire of summer in India, forest fire of Vipralamba from Krishna, which, not, which great difficulty the gopis school went through all this summer season, survived, basically, with the extra heat of their separation. So then the monsoon season arrived, the rainy season came. And again, it brought some relief, but as we will see, it brought some other form of divine anxiety. Of course, we, the poets and our charas also describe these different seasons, not merely as, as external weather or something, but in connection with the, the emotional experiences that Shirad and the Gopis are going through in this connection. For example, again, summer has to do with the fever of separation and the forest fire, which the gopis are going through in their Purvarag. Hmm? And then the rainy season is poetically described as the evaporation of the tears that fell during the, the, the summer season, fell so much they evaporated and they eventually became rainy season. Not like a way of saying, no matter if there is rain or if there is summer, there is separation and there is building up in this uh, Purvarag, basically. Hmm? So... The gopis are naturally attracted, this is an important point you have to understand. In their separation from Krishna, although there is no, has not been yet official first meeting or consummation, they have a natural attraction towards him. They are ragatmikas, at least some of them or most of them, which means they are made of attraction of Krishna. They are not, they do not have love for Krishna but they are love for Krishna personified, which is a very important difference, if you will. That's the, dif the whole difference between being uh, uh, see the generally speaking, and not being that. Mm -hmm. So there are ragadmikas, or as Chaitanya Charitamrita describes them, there are sahajas, interestingly. In other words, sahaja is not that bad. It's bad when you add that prakrita sahaja, or just sahaja, which generally means it like it's easy, going lover, a cheap, someone who is not willing to pay the real price for, for love. <laughs> but the gopis are depicted as aprakrita sahajas by Krishna Das Kaviraj. Sahaja means someone with natural, some inborn tendency towards whatever. But in their case, they are aprakrita. So even though it seems prakrita, it's a world apart in which how they approach Krishna, how they feel inherently attracted to him. So, but it's inherent in them. <laughs> so, in this way, being so much attracted to Krishna in such a natural way, you can imagine how they went through this summer season. So, somehow they felt, okay, monsoon season will bring some relief to our torture of separation. So, they welcomed monsoon, the rainy season, but the opposite thing happened, actually. And the monsoon came, and monsoon means clouds came, and clouds came in somehow Krishna came in the form of a reminder by seeing the the color of the clouds and reminding her themselves of Krishna's sham sham sundar gan sham complexion, which is that particular color basically, as at least as trying to get us closer to a comparison in this plane. So they were reminded, oh, we are separated from him. So all the class were loudly speaking about Krishna and the fact that they had not yet consummated their relationship with Krishna. Mm -hmm. So again, the monsoon came, but that monsoon somehow created the second monsoon because of the reminder, Gopi started to cry even more in separation. So that was the second monsoon inside the monsoon season. 
Gob is crying and crying and crying. Sometimes it is poetically depicted that the whole of Vrindavan, uh, before the monsoon season, in the summer, all of them were basically, all the trees and the plants were dying in separation somehow, for moments at least, when they were not able to see Krishna, but the gopis were crying so much that they were water all the species that were dying because of the heat of the sun or whatever. No? <laughs> so, again, no, just in case, as our Guru Maharaj always reminds us, do not think that this is an undesirable thing to experience because it seems, oh my God, the pain is only increasing and increasing, but bhaya bhisa jalahai bhitare anandamai krishna priyamiradhuta charit. So, the wonderful attribute, an overwhelming one in Prem, adbhuta charit, is that even though this lamentation or pain seems undesirable, it's full of ananda in its inside. I, in Argentina, I met once one ex-devotee <laughs> who told me, like, oh, uh, at the beginning I joined the movement, but eventually I started to hear all this stuff and the group is suffering and Mahaprabhu hitting, grinding his heart, his face on the wall in the Gambira. And I said, oh no, I don't want to end like that. He became a Buddhist. <laughs> Free from suffering. No, no more problem. No. So, so we have to understand that it's it's a sweet pain, basically. So let's say Maharaj will say that. It's, it is possible to find sweetness in pain. We need to, to, to align ourselves to, to develop that type of thinking, basically. We spoke the other day about about peace. What's about peace? <laughs> so the gopis are far, far about peace now. Even though there is it may seem they have no peace of mind, no? at the same time, all the foundational elements of, of Shanta, as we spoke, are there, but much more. So much more that it seems that the other thing is totally out of them, but somehow it's there. No? Hmm? So, this rainy season not only created this, uh, this reminder, painful reminder of the gopis, and of course, painful reminders means increase of their longing, so at the end, it's, 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 it's part of the, it's instrumental in their reunion. But also the rainy season somehow created further obstacles in the gopis seeing Krishna on a daily basis. Because generally, if you are in a monsoon season, you won't see people as often as you will see them without monsoon season. <laughs> so that affected also the, the daily dynamics between Krishna and the gopis, the glances and the moments that they will have a glimpse of him. So it became a little bit more difficult for them to see Krishna on a daily basis as much as they were accustomed to do. So you try to imagine in village time, in India, those times, so was, again, no Instagram was there, no daily picture to upload and so on. So the gopis were kept within their houses mostly, and in this case absorbing themselves about Krishna and his lila and whatever he may be doing at that precise moment, they were not able to see him. So it is said that since they were not able to see Krishna, they started to visualize all of Krishna's daily timeline. It's not that they were imagining what he may be doing, but they were actually having spurtis or visions of what he was actually doing. Hunter Darshan, basically, what's going on. So they were totally self-forgetful of themselves and totally aware of of Krishna to the point that they were able to connect with every single thing that he was doing in the physical distance, if you will. Mm. Mm. But again, meanwhile, rainy season is still there, and a cloud is appearing. And again, it's some form of Udipana, a painful one, but Udipana nonetheless, and Sri Radha is seeing a cloud, and our chair is saying, like, she starts to look at the cloud, and a lightning appears in between, and you know, this is the famous reference to Radha and Krishna, lightning and cloud, and Sri Radha starts to cry another monsoon and starts to pray, or ask the cloud, like, which type of tapasya did you perform to, 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 to resemble so much my Ganeshyan? Tell me, you are so, you resemble so much the chest of Krishna, and that lightning in between also sometimes is compared to his Sri Vatsa. Taft of care. Mm -hmm. So, in this way, no? in this way, we, are, we already start to have some trailer of what the Benu Gita will be about, which is Radha and the Gopis addressing nature and projecting their own bhav into nature and looking at different elements of nature, animate, 
and inanimate, as we will see in different verses, and they will sing to them, and they will praise them, and they will consider them even much more fortunate than themselves, than the gopis, basically. And they start to ask, what did they do for attaining such good fortune? In other words, offering full respect, full appreciation to everyone else without considering we are the great thing, incredible or something, no? which is what Mahaprabhu calls Amanina Manadina, basically, no? which means to offer respect to others, not to consider respect for oneself. So the gopis are actually the highest devotees. They are just thinking, as our Guru Mahesh will say, everyone is a devotee except for myself. While a neophyte devotee will think, nobody is a devotee except for myself. <laughs> so you see a very considerable difference there. So actually what the gopis will be doing in this Benu Gita is projecting their own prem, their own divine madness, their own prem netra, their eyes of love into the whole environment and their own whatever they feel for Krishna they are projecting into the mountains, into the grass, into the animals, into the clouds, into the all the different ingredients of nature. They have that eye, Primanjana Churita Bhaktivilochanena, says Sri Brahmaji. You have to how do you say? Untar? Anoint. Anoint your eyes with the salve of, of Brahma. That's how you really can see Vrindavan. You can really see Krishna. As once we were speaking with with one devotees, you know, being in Vrindavan, of course, one of the must-be experiences in Vrindavan is you have to have your glasses being stolen by the monkeys. If not, nobody will believe you. You went to Vrindavan. We're thinking we can. We should. We should also do some new T-shirts. Instead, I lost my heart in Brindavan. I lost my glasses in Brindavan. Uh, I'm sure more people will more easily empathize with that. Man, not so easy to lo- lose one's heart, but to lose your glasses, that can. <laughs> and the boat told me, well, actually, there is an esoteric point to that. Of course, the monkeys have some seva in Brindavan in the Niti Lila. They are kakati. There is this awakening on a daily basis, rather than Krishna, when nothing else works. She starts to imitate Jatila's voice, and that will work for sure. <laughs> but in the Boma Lila, we have monkeys performing another interesting form of seva, which is stealing your glasses. Take care, Hari Priya, Morley, just in case. And that's why, because they want to teach us, you cannot see Vrindavan with, with these external ingredients. So they take out your glasses to show. There's another eye you have to develop to really enter the branch. So just in case that happens... We have something to learn from, and the monkeys there. So in this way, this rainy season, as painful as it may be, <laughs> divinely painful, is an udipana, very powerful one. It's a stimulant. Again, the clouds, sham color, but also these obstacles that come with the rainy season, the uh, difficulty in meeting and seeing Krishna increase the longing again, over and over again. So all this will see really perfectly orchestrated by Yoga Maya, not creating certain obstacles that create a particular longing which correspond with the solution to that in the form of the autumnal season. So gradually, again, this momentum is being built up so that finally the consummation between Krishna and the Gopis is takes place in the in, in Sarat, in the autumn season, as we will see eventually. Hmm? So, we should also allow those ingredients in our life. Again, what we perceive as obstacles actually are cons- creating a, a, a much more auspicious stage for a further consummation in our relationship with Bhagavan. Hmm? They are nourishing our progress in the form of nourishing our separation, basically. We will see this in the case of the gopis. Their separation is being nourished, you may say increased, by increased to the point of a certain longing that requires a certain corresponding union for it not to be a, a tragedy. <laughs> and it never ends in tragedy. Now, interestingly, if you pay attention to all the, the different rasas in, in Indian drama, you don't have tragedy. Because for Indian psychology, tragedy is not there. Everything is lila, ultimately. Whether Shristi lila or Nitya lila. <laughs> So, in this way, when finally after summer came the monsoon, and when the monsoon creating all these necessary obstacles, <laughs> the monsoon season was over, 
then the autumn season Sharad came. So, interestingly, the gopis then thought, okay, now autumn came, so all the obstacles of the rainy season are over. So, there will be something better here. But in one sense, it is said that the autumn came and created, doubled the, the emotional confusion, transcendentally speaking, in the gopis. Because, for example, Sri Radha was suffering in the monsoon season whenever she was seeing a cloud, because that reminded her of, of her beloved and the separation from him. But now she's suffering because she cannot see the cloud. <laughs> and she cannot be reminded of her beloved. So whether you have a cloud or not a cloud, <laughs> she's suffering. But again, when I say she's suffering, it means she's increasing her longing. She's, increase, she's increasing the gopis in general, increasing their longing. So all this is apparently an obstacle, but actually all this is actually an udipana. So this is a very, again, sorry if I'm pounding this post too much, but <laughs> whatever we feel obstacle, no? our mind says obstacle, you have to invoke proper intelligence that will reply to that udipana. udipana. If I'm not seeing the udipana, that's my homework, basically, because the situation won't change. So it's only my framework. Do I choose to to embrace reality as an obstacle or to embrace reality as a Dudipana, basically. No? So we, we see how how it's working here. Mm-hmm. All these obstacles fueling mm-hmm. mm, the bhav and, and fueling this necessary separation that will give a spe- very special taste in union. Like when you are when you are really hungry, you will really taste food. If you are not hungry, I can be, bring you a feast. And I can for- force you to eat even. And, it won't be such pleasure because there's no hunger. There's no separation, if you will, in this case. Mm-hmm. So you see, the gopis are, are, are whatever it, it, are the gopis, everyone in Brindavan, whatever you put on their path, it just increases their love for Krishna. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. Even the fact that, them, that Krishna is God, sometimes that crosses their path. Someone may say, or they may hear this rumor, it is said that maybe he... But they process that in such a way that it becomes just an deepener for increasing their intimacy with Him. So again, whether it be summer season, rainy season, autumn season, everything is a deepener. Sometimes we, in conditioned life, we are very expert in whatever comes our way. Instead of taking that as a deepener again, we start to complain about everything. Oh, now it's raining. Oh, it's too hot now. Oh, now it's coming the, the autumn. I mean, you can develop a whole psychology that you will learn how to expertly complain about every single thing that you could potentially see as an Udipana, but potentially you can become a, a Ramachandra Puri follower, basically. No? So you can see something bad in everything. Ramachandra Puri showed that, as you know. She will ask, tell sannyasis, who will come to me and say, Oh, Padmanamaras, you are too thin. You should eat more. So I follow Ramachandra Puri and Tomorrow, double plate, please. <laughs> and when he will see me eating that, he will say, you are eating too much. That's not supposed from a sannyasi. You're overeating, you're undereating. I will never eat just the right amount. That's not possible for someone like him. <laughs> so, in this way, no? that's the potential. We can, sometimes in this world, or rainy season, instead of saying, oh, Udipana for reminding Krishna, Gansham, the clouds, oh, it's raining. It's, it's not gra- gratifying me. Is going against my plans. I cannot enjoy as I will, or something, no? whatever the case. Some people get depressed, basically, no? in, in, the, in certain seasons or whatever. <laughs> so that's a huge contrast with what we find here in the Lila. Mm-hmm. So if, if they are complaining about something, because Sri Radha is complaining here, where's the cloud? I cannot see the cloud any longer. But it's a complaint that is increasing her experience of Bhakti Rasa. So, if your complaints is too deep enough for Bhakti Rasa, no problem, keep complaining, that's your sadhana. No? <laughs> but it, there's an art to that, it's not so easy. No? I mean, what's your main aspect of, in your practice to complain? I mean, you have to know how to do that, it's not so, so easy. No? But it's important to make this comparison and this contrast, how the members of the Lila are approaching reality and how someone who may not be in that platform, approaches reality. And Sukadev Goswami is over and over again doing this in the Bhagavatam, like giving this type of notion, so we can engage in this exercise to not confuse what the gopis are doing or the gopas are doing 
algo de conditions all may be doing. It seems similar. Both of them have the word prakrita, but one has one a before that. No? A prakrita, no? not a lila. No? One is totally into selfish separate interest, and another one is totally into universal common interest. So externally they are doing the same thing, even maybe, but internally it's worlds apart. Mm -hmm. So, of course, something that we should also emphasize regarding obstacles and asudipunas, because we are not promoting like some form of masochism or try to get as much obstacles as you can and make things purposefully complicated and not 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 in that way. But whatever comes as and we feel as obstacle, we are to try to. Uh, recalibrate that, that approach. But also, generally, at least most of us, and all of us actually in one form or another, we also need element. Udipana coming from the other side, Udipana coming from the side of hope, for example. So you can have problems in your life, something you perceive as problems, and deal with them in such a way that you are learning. But also, we need sometimes some divine caressing, if you will, or some specific light coming and giving a specific hope and grace and so on. And all of them properly combined, I would say, create the real experience of Udipana. So in this case, in these cases, this is not an exception to, to the gopis here. They are receiving some signs of hope also. So for example, it is said that Jiva Goswami mentions in the Gopal Shampoo that, that Bayu, Bayu Dev, the, the, the deity of of, of wind, hmm, which actually all, all the devas have their original expression in the Braj, and only partial representation in in Swargalok. Hmm. The real ones are in the Lila, if you will. Hmm. So Bapu, uh, Bapu, Bayu, sorry, inspired by, by Yogamaya, Lila Shakti Yogamaya, it is said that Bayu was bringing different leaves, not flying, floating leaves, with different verses that were written with the fingernails of the beloved. You know? So Shirada will receive like some flying leaves with some messages, loving messages that Krishna wrote in those leaves, giving like hope, you know? like it's getting closer, if you will. And the same, the same. Krishna will receive by the arrangement of, of Bayu certain leaves that were written by Shirada's nail, nails, fingers, and he will receive these messages of hope that somehow will keep both of them alive. Basically, that's the conclusion. Because with that hope, it will be too much. We, we need some positive content as well. Hmm? So it is said that both of them will receive this type of leaves. You will go to and say, take to their hearts and make, poetically speaking, he will say, like make a necklace of jewels. Like those leaves were like jewels for them and they will make a necklace of each one of those leaves and loving messages. So we need that as well. Like for example, in our particular sadhaka stage. Yes, we may have problems and we need to see them as Sudipana, but we also need the positive side of the equation, if you will, positive in the form of harikata and nourishing from the sadhus that we hear their discourse and we really clearly feel some hope, some, some strength to go to the so-called problems and see them as Udipana, basically, you know, to, to deal with the rest of reality accordingly. So, this way, we are in autumn season. So again, in autumn, all the ponds, all the water extensions become clear. Satcha, this verse is the word Satcha, or the flowers are blooming due to the moon rays, nectar-filled moon rays, sometimes it is described. It is said that the intoxicated bees appear on the scene and start to fly around the different flowers and creating a particular melodious humming. Next verse will most in detail describe that. Full moon is appearing also, adding to the whole equation. And the heart overflows with a type of unique joy. Autumn is a very special season, as you can see. So it is that why Krishna established his um, his Rasa Mandal, or his divine circular, circular dancing, in this particular season of autumn, at least one of them. Of course, there is, it's not that Krishna only does, does Rasa Lila in autumn, but the one famous one present in the Srimad Bhagavatam depicted there is Sarat, the, the Rasa Lila which took place in autumn. 
And that will be the consummation that begins with this type of Gitas, Benu Gita, and so on. Of course, there is another famous Rasa Lila that Krishna dances with the gopis and is depicted by Jayadev Goswami. But that takes place in um, um, Basanta, hmm? the spring season, which is again a new, another form of reflourishing of the whole thing. So this Benu Gita is again building up to the Rasa Lila and the Rasa Pancha Diai. All of this connected to the autumn season. But we see how very interestingly and expertly <clears throat> here Srila Sukadev Goswami in the very first verse, he's not just beginning, in, it never happens almost in the Bhagavata. No? It's not that immediately you have Benu Gita, okay, go be singing. But he is creating gradually the whole scene. So to begin with, he will describe, as we will see, the main ingredients for Madhurya Rasa to take place. This is this section of the Bhagavatam is centered in Madhurya Rasa from the killing of Kaliya on this Madhurya Rasa sections unfold. As we as we know, tenth canto begins with Batsalya Rasa section, then Sakya Rasa section, and then Madhurya Rasa section culminating in the Rasa Panchadhyay. So we could say that for Madhurya Rasa to happen, we need at least four ingredients, uh, which are Sri Krishna, which is described here, already he's mentioned in the very first verse, Krishna is there. We need Sri Radha, which is not overtly mentioned here. Sri Radha is like the hidden reality of the Bhagavatam. She's <laughs> all around every single verse, but it's nowhere mentioned directly, which is another topic in itself. Because imagine if I, you ask me, so what's that book about? Oh, it's about this person. And you read the book and say, but the book never mentioned the person. <laughs> How a book is about someone who is never mentioned? So, of course, if we go this have a particular explanation to that. So Radha is there, under, in, underlying behind each syllable of the Bhagavatam. Krishna is there, already mentioned. The gopis will be there. They are the ones singing this Benu Gita. And a poor ingredient that we need for making this quadruple equation of Madhurya Rasa is Brindavan. We need Brindavan forest to be there, Brindavan, for it to be, for, for there to be Madhurya Rasa. So that's why now here Sukadev Goswami is introducing the forest and the different elements of Brindavan. If one of these four elements are is not present, you cannot have the full experience of Madhurya Rasa. Take Krishna out? No. Take Radha out? No. Take the rest of the gopis out? No. And take Brindavan out? No. Classical example of when Radha, Gopis, and Krishna meet, but not in Vrindavan, in Kurukshetra. So, what happened in that moment, as we know, as Mahaprabhu sang in Ratha Yatra, this poetry. Yeah, we are here. The night is the same, this is the same, that is the same, this is the same, this is the same, but there's something that is not the same. The stage is not the same, the playground is not the same. Kurukshetra is not the same as Brinda. <laughs> so the whole Ratha Yatra has to do with this idea of invoke the proper stage, come back to Vrindavan, basically. So that makes this point. These four ingredients have to be there for Madhurya Rasa experience to be there. So Sukadev Goswami is very expertly introducing these four elements because we are entering into the Madhurya Rasa section of the Bhagavatam. So let's share some ideas regarding the forest, because this verse has a lot to do with, with how Sukadev is describing the forest. Um, mainly he's speaking here about the water of the forest, the ponds with the lotuses, and the wind, interestingly. Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur mentions something very nice in his Sarartha Darshani, and he mentions that here the word, the, the word for wind, which is bayu, is invoked in singular. It says bayu na instead of Bayubihi. Uh, Sanskrit, in this case, if you will speak in terms of something plural, it will be Bayubihi. But here it's speaking about Bayuna. Like, speaking about one breeze, which generally is strange, because when you speak about the wind, you don't speak about one breeze of wind. But wind is generally conceived in terms of plural. So, he, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says, this is to imply that the breeze was he began saying it was very gentle, 
It was like singular. It was like very specific. So, so what's the idea behind that? Is that the Brisit thinking? Remember that everything here is personified. It's not just an animate, unconscious stuff. But there are personalities which are engaging in service, even in the breeze. So the breeze is thinking to itself, I will offer, how will I offer seva to, to Sri Krishna here? I will, I will like blow very gently so the different scents present in the forest, because there are different flowers, different elements, all of them do not mix with each other and do not create like some sort of rasavas, if you will. So as the seva, the breeze is thinking, I will carry the breeze of one particular flower into the nostril of Krishna. So when that seva is finished, I will go to a second flower and will create that similar and go to the other nostril. And then with the other flower and then the, in a very sweet and soft way, you know, like I'm throwing a whole key tree of aroma, if you will. <laughs> so in this way, you know, gradually, gradually, Taking all of them again, all of them are conscious entities. By Kuntera Pritividi Sakalachin Mai, Sri Chaitanya Chaitamrita. From Vaikunta upwards, everything is transcendental subject matter. It's not just inert stuff. Hmm? So that's a very nice analogy. Of course, our acharyas always take draw many analogies from these examples, like saying, for example, in the same way. The breeze is not carrying a fragrance of its own, but it's just transporting other fragrances in the service of Krishna. In the same way, we should act in the same way. We, we, in humility, we may think, who am I? I don't have the great fragrance to offer, but I may try to facilitate the service of other personalities. That they all Each jiva has some fragrance, has some potential. I will try to serve them and through that carry those fragrances for the service of Krishna, if you will. No, I, I, I'm, I'm the singular fragrance, if you will. I'm not plural, if you will. Generally, our ego makes us think in plural. I'm plural, and world is singular. No, I'm all, everything, and that's... Outside is there's one, one thing or something. <laughs> no, but actually, the whole world is in plural, and I'm in singular, not vice versa. So that's the nature, basically, of of the sadhu, the breeze of Brindavan. The sadhu is like the breeze of Brindavan, and the breeze of Brindavan is a sadhu, however you may like to, <laughs> to conceive that. So again, the, the breeze is not carrying its own fragrance, but trying to transport and facilitate and, and appreciate the, 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 the contribution of other people. Again, amanina, manadina, and so on. Not trying to impose itself on others, and so on. So that has to do with the breeze, with the air. Generally, to say that a place is judged by two things, you know, the quality of its air and the quality of its water. So here, Brindavan is not an exception to the rule. And of course, here we are speaking about the Brindavan, the real Brindavan. <laughs> not the Brindavan that we have made of, you know, if you will, through our pollution and all that. Because you go to Brindavan now, and, and, and maybe that's the worst place on earth regarding air and water. You know? But in one sense, that's not Brindavan. You know? So the real Brindavan is the one that has been ambitioned by our acharyas, described in their texts, Brajavila, Stava, Mathura, Mahatmya, and so many texts that speak about Brindavan, and the real Brindavan. So... <clears throat> We already spoke about the, the quality of air, and then let's go to the water. How is describing this verse with expression Patmakara Sugandina, which refers to very Swachajalam Patmakara Sugandina. So very clear ponds, as we mentioned, autumnal ponds, and also very fragrant by the presence of lotus flowers there. So it has a pond of lotuses with sweet fragrance and very clear water. Which again can be made uh, an analogy with the, oops, with the mind of a sadhu, which sometimes is compared with with the lotus. In many ways, we, we don't have time now to go with all the analogies in that connection. But once there's a nice prayer by King Kulasekhar, <clears throat> when he actually compares, we can compare the mind of the sadhu to us. To, to a lotus, or we can compare Krishna to a lotus in the sense that all of the parts of his body are compared to lotuses. You have many 
sections in Shastra which speak about Krishna's lotus lips and lotus fingers and lotus hands and lotus eyes and lotus face and his curls of hair are like bumblebees like moving around the lotus of his face and so on. So King Kulashekar will pray like may the, lo may the swan of my mind his mind is, is a swan and of course Krishna's feet will be the lotus here. So let the swan of my mind get intertwined in the in the in this to the stems of the lotus of your lot of your feet basically. And to say that swans like to remain nearby lotuses and like to, to get like imbibed, impregnated of the fragrance of the lotuses. So King Kolesekar said, My mind is like a swan, so my mind wants to get intertwined and entangled, divinely entangled <laughs> in the lotus stems of, of your lotus feet. And that's why the sadhus sometimes also call Paramahamsas, which means like royal uh, swan, if you will. So they like to intertwine their their life, their whole existence, with the lotus flowers of Krishna's name, form, qualities, lila. All these nam rupa guna lila are like lotus flowers, extended lotus flowers in Krishna's existence, and Paramahansa will like to get intertwined with that. So, in this way, it is describing this verse how in such a stage, in such a Vrindavan, with such an air, such a water, such a lotuses, describing this lovely uh, autumnal branch, Krishna entered the forest. Remember, we are in the Purban Lila, where Krishna is going with his friends and cows in the morning, 8.24 till 10.48, for Gocharana Lila. So he's described here entering with his friends, his Dauji, his elder brother, and, and all this multitude of go go palaka. Mm -hmm. So, interestingly, he says saha go go palaka. Go palaka is translated as referring to the cowherds, and it is explained that the word ka, because you could say go gopala. Gopala is is enough to refer to the gopas, to the to the cowherd boys. But it is said here the verse says gopalaka. Of course, you could say for matters of meter, for making the meter perfect, that's a one thing. But also the, 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 the syllable ka, it's uh, something that is invoked when you want to, to add the idea of komalata, or like tenderness to something. Tenderness or, or, or sweetness, depending the case. No? Like for example, if you have the word amba, which means mother, and if you want to make it more tender, you will say ambika. No? Or you have gopis, and you can say gopika. Mm -hmm. Or you have radha, and you have radhika. No? So that adds, an, it's an added feature of tenderness and sweetness, indicating the tenderness of heart in this particular case, which says gopala, gopalaka. No? So speaking how, in the same way that cows are famous for being subheartened, the gopalas who are taking care of them are equally subheartened, Krishna therefore follows suit. Suit, is it? Birds of the same feather flock together. So in this way, Krishna, Gopalaka, and Go, Nyabishat. Nyabishat is translated as he entered or they entered. And Sripad Balabhacharya, in his commentary on this verse, Vodini, he's saying, translating the word Nyabishat. As he entered completely, he was the word ni, like nitaram, or com he completely entered the forest. And of course, you can ask, what does it mean to enter the forest completely? <laughs> no, it's not like, okay, I'm going with two arms and two legs or whatever, no? one feet out, one feet in. <laughs> so, ideally, of course, the idea is he totally entered, the, the, his whole being was there, was, was invested in that experience, basically. He was totally captivated by all that the forest was representing for him. And as we will see, many things represent the forest for Krishna. The forest represents many things. It's not just the forest, like in a generic way. But every single ingredient of the forest is actually someone Krishna is longing to reciprocate with, basically. So he's totally, in other words, captivated by the love of his devotees, and the forest is devoting itself, but as we know, the forest is not just one thing, 
from the distance you say, oh, there is the forest. When we are inside the forest, you don't see the forest. You see the tree, a monkey, the grass, the um, you know, spider, whatever. So all of them are waiting for him on a daily basis. And the last word of the verse, and with this we are finishing, is achyuta. Hmm? Achyuta, which of course is a word for referring to Krishna, generally translated as the infallible one, hmm? uh, or he who never falls. Chyuta hmm? means to fall, so achyuta means he who does not fall, which generally could be understood as a pretty Aishwarik name. No? Like he who never falls is more like God, perfect, always absolute. No? God is always God. He, he's not that he stopped being God and he fell, and he fell from Vaikuntha. If he fell from Vaikuntha, maybe Krishna can fall, who knows? <laughs> so the point is okay, it can be a name to refer to Bhagavan, Narayan, Vishnu outside of, of the Viraj, Achyuta, the infallible, but how does it apply to? the situation we are in here. So there are a few thoughts on that, a few moments, other instances in which the name Achyuta is invoked. So let's go to them and we will almost finish that. So interestingly, in this Lila, in the Batsalia section, if you will, where Krishna is still in his Kumar age and he's going to visit this fruit uh, seller, the lady, and Krishna is coming with some grains, trying to engage in, in trade, trying to change some grains for to the lady. So it is said that the name is offered to, to speak when, when the grains are falling from his hand. You know, like creating this contrast that he's a chuta, but in, in this case something is falling. He's not falling, but something is falling from his hand. You know, these grains. And the grains are falling actually because how much he's captivated by the love of the lady, of the, of the, of, of the fruit seller. So it's not a falling, technically speaking. No? Although, as our Guru Maharaj will say, love is a falling condition. But if you speak about Krishna being falling, okay, we accept that type of chutaness. <laughs> but still, he's a chut in the other sense of the term. Or also, when he killed Batsasur, which is the, the, the calf the calf demon, it is also Krishna's name there, like Achyuta. Because Sanatana Goswami, his commentary... He's explaining when, that when Krishna was moving Batsasur, taking him, I think, by the legs, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it is said that he did not move even a step behind in order to engage in that like movement, which generally, if you have to take someone from the legs, just in case, do not try. <laughs> <laughs> I just start like, to move like it into the centrifugal, like what's, yeah, in that type of movement. On, on a certain on a certain level of intensity as to kill the person, probably you will move from where you were standing in the beginning. <laughs> but Krishna did not move. So in that sense, he didn't fall from his fixed position, if you will. And he's called a chuta while doing that. Hmm? So it, that's applied to some lilas in Braj, but it's specifically applied here to, to the gopis, hmm? and to the Brajavas, of course, as well. Uh, we could say that Krishna is Achyuta, and the commentators say he's mentioned, named as Achyuta here, because he's infallible in the sense that his beauty never diminishes. He's not falling from his position of sweetness and beauty. You know? on, on the contrary, that's increasing at every stage. Nava Jovanam. It is say even that there is some divine competition between Krishna and the gopis. Krishna's beauty is increasing, and the gopis' love is increasing as to reciprocate with that beauty. But when the gopis' love increases, Krishna's sweetness increases. So the two are engaged in a competition, and nobody, none of them are, is accepting defeat easily. <laughs> so that's one way we can conceive a chit in connection to Krishna here, as his sweetness and beauty is never decreasing, never falling. And of course, another very natural conclusion will be Krishna is a chitta because he never fails or he never falls in his resolution to reciprocate in kind with his devotees, which means to please his devotees. That's the the very definition of what Krishna is, what, or, or even what God is. Interestingly, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, there is a very nice definition of Bhagavan. Generally, we when we hear Bhagavan, we think about these six opulences, he who has full wealth and full detachment and full beauty and so on. 
Badivatan say Bhagavan Bhakta Bhakti Man. He says, Bhagavan is the Bhakta of his Bhaktas. That's Bhagavan, according to the Bhagavatam. So Bhagavan is the devotee of his devotees. So he doesn't fall from that position. He tries to lock him. That's another way to put that. He who is a Jita or unconquerable is conquered by love. But again, that that Krishna becomes Jita doesn't mean that he stops being a Jita in another sense. That Krishna becomes fallen in love doesn't mean that he stops being infallible in another way, basically. As Agul Gurmash wrote something recently, some post like Krishna, we, we worship a God which is perfectly flawed. And for some people, they have some problem with that. <laughs> but perfectly. Perfectly flawed. Yeah, flawed, but perfectly. Both words are equally important, like human life and so on. <laughs> and Krishna loves that quality in himself. You know, how love, how Prem makes him who he is, as vulnerable as he is and, and whatever, all that he is. He's God overwhelmed by Prem. So I need to say that that's a favorite quality of Krishna himself. If someone will be doing an interview with Krishna and asking, what's the favorite thing about yourself? I mean, he can he, he can say many things. He has many things to tell. But he will say, basically, my, my favorite attribute is that I'm a puppet in the hands of my devotees. That's me in my favorite moments. <laughs> so that's a perfectly humble conclusion. No? Even though he's God, and he could say so many other things... <laughs> His, that's his favorite moment you know, when I'm fully under the control of affection and I'm willing to reciprocate with that. You know. That that's me. That's the God we worship. You know. Like Jayadev Goswami said, "Dehipada Palabamudara." That's the, the zenith of Gita Govinda almost. You know, which when Krishna decides, I will put my head on the lotus feet of Sri Radha. That's totally worshipable by me. And he falls to that feet, those feet and starts to worship them. And Shirada basically sees Krishna doing that, and, and she will conclude, you are really the Supreme Personality of Godhead. You are bowing to Prem, basically. That means you are Swayam Bhagavan, the highest form of God, is the one who bows to Prem, who puts his head on the ground. That's the God we worship. That's the Krishna we worship. Hmm? So some ideas regarding the word Achyuta. And one more thing before finishing, with your permission is that in some editions of the Bhagavatam, this verse does not end with the word Achyuta. That happens with some verses of the Bhagavatam, which vary, vary? Vary, thank you. In, in, in some little words. And our Acharyas are very expert in even giving some rustic explanation to those <laughs> cases, which may be just seen as technical differences or even mistakes, but they will, they present them in another way. So in some editions, instead of this verse ending with the word achyuta, will we'll end with the word banam. Banam, which means, one means like forest, basically. So our some of our acharyas will explain that Sukadev Goswami, remember, he's the one speaking this verse. So when the point of saying achyuta comes, Sukadev Goswami starts to play out in his mind all the implications of what achyuta means, as we have been touching a little bit now, and in, in his inner self, Sukadev Goswami has an inner vision, antar darshan of Ajuta, and all the type of implications, so he becomes choked up. He can't pronounce the word Ajuta. It's too much for him, as it happens in many parts of the Bhagavatam. So he was not able to to, to play out the implications of the Ajutaness, of Ajuta, <laughs> And therefore, he became ecstatically silent. He was not able to pronounce a chuta in that particular case. And he will clarify who he was referring to in that case. In the next verse, he will use the word Madhupati to refer to Krishna. But Madhupati means basically Lord of Sweetness, one of the different meanings, which is another way to further confirm a chuta. Because again, a chuta meant, if you remember, he who doesn't fail in he does who doesn't decrease his level of sweetness. So he cannot say Achyuta, but next verse he will say Madhupati, which means the Lord of, of sweetness, like referring to what he understood as Achyuta. Hmm? But he could not pronounce that word, he said Wanam. He entered the forest, basically. So Sukadev became ecstatically silent and 
In the same way, following in his footsteps, praying to someday become ecstatically silent of him, we will become silent now, <laughs> and we will put our Bhagavad Kata to rest here, and we will continue, uh, I don't know when, not tomorrow, maybe, sorry? On Thursday, okay, so in two days we will continue with second verse of Sri Venugit, and since we are already on time, if there are any questions, we can entertain them. I think we will have some days nearby, some Q&A session, Mr. Gusti, so we can continue speaking there. So, Sri Lagudev Ki Jai, Sri Man Mahaprabhu Ki Jai, Sri Ninam Prabhu Ki Jai, Sri Sri Daoji Gopal Ki Jai, Grantara Sri Mad Bhagavatam Ki Jai, Sri Venugit Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrind Ki Jai, Gaur Pramam Ki Jai.